Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lofstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible-based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson and the ministry staff of Lofstofan are grateful that you're joining us for today's study in God's Word as a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The following was recorded on Sunday, May 22, 2022. Today's message title, Where the Good News of Jesus Meets Money. Using uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 12 as sort of a springboard to talk about uh, where the good news of Jesus relates to money. So, um, man, that... I gotta admit, uh, these, these series dealing with like broad subjects has been really trying because there's so much you could say. There's so much you could say about money. For instance, you could talk about how we're called to, you know, leave an inheritance to our children and, and how we're called to be responsible with it. But specifically, I want to focus on, um, the, the, the aspect of money that calls us to be generous. And I'll, I'll go into it here in a little bit, but let's, can we, can we stand up as we read uh, 2 Corinthians 9, uh, verses 6 through 12? Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Then he goes on to say, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Amen. Let's, let's be seated. So this is uh, one of our last stops in this series of where the good news of Jesus meets various topics and circumstances. And today we're going to be dealing with money. And I do that fully aware uh, that I may be kicking a beehive here um, and, and uh, touching, it may touch people the wrong way. Some of you have been part of churches where money was, was always talked about and talked about sometimes in the wrong way. Some of you will immediately remen- remember a bunch of unfortunate news stories about churches and financial scandals that have gone on both in Iceland and abroad. Um, others of you, will not necessarily think of all the ways that the church has failed. It will simply strike a nerve because it's uh, it's uh, functionally, it may be the place where you actually seek hope and joy and purpose. It's in building money, saving money, the stuff that money can buy you and so on. Um, and so uh, because I'm going on vacation, I'm going to kick this beehive. And I'm going to leave the mess with Elliot and the stings of angry bees. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but no worries. I'll be praying for him right, as, he, as he deals with the aftermath of this. Now, um, so not only is that something that we've dealt with, we've seen money talked about in the wrong way and in bad ways. We've seen 
uh, scandals happen, unfortunately. But also, I think this is a very important topic to talk about in Iceland and perhaps just in Western countries, because I think this is the most common idol that we face. And when I mean idol, it's probably like Christianese. If you haven't been in the faith for a while, what we mean by idol is that it's a functional God for people. People worship at the altar of money. They think that money can get them hope. Money can get them joy. Money can satisfy the needs of their souls. And it's not just a common idol among people in Iceland and the West. It's a socially acceptable one, right? We don't, if someone says, you know, I work 14 hour days and I, I'm working to get this mansion and this nice car. No one really judges that person. Have you noticed that? No one is like, huh, that seems unhealthy. Everybody's like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's socially acceptable. It's an idol that many people worship. So I'm going to kick this beehive. And then if this is, if, if, if you feel convicted, just, just know it's probably God pointing out, eh, <laughs> this is something we should look at. Um, but the, uh, the, another reason why I want to talk about this is when the Bible talks about money, it gives amazing promises to us who are generous. And it gives amazing warnings to us who may be greedy, right? It, it, it gives severe warnings. And so basing ourselves out of these verses today, I want to start with verse seven. And I want us to ask the question in verse seven, he tells us each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. I, and I want us to ask, okay, how can we give without being reluctant? And how can we give cheerfully? And if we're not there already, how do we get there? Right? If we, if we see this verse and we don't see ourselves in it, but we want to get there, how, how, is, how does the roadmap look? Notice again, the balance in these verses, like this is, this is what the entire Christian life is about. It's not simply about what you do, right? This is what many people think Christianity is about. Come to Sunday service, leave. And then one day, years down the road, you die and you can tell God, well, I faithfully attended Sunday services. Is that what Christianity is about? And, and whoa, okay, huh? we're good. <laughs> Uh, again, this is not just, it doesn't just simply tell us what to do. It doesn't say you guys should give. It tells us why we do what we do, right? And I, uh, I love this. Why and how, not reluctantly, do it cheerfully. So the Christian life is not simply about what we do, but why we do what we do. And here, again, we see this, this balance of, okay, what if, what is this about? This is about, okay, we want to worship God and we want to love people with our heads. We want to know why we are doing this, why we're being generous. We want to worship God and love people with our hearts. We want to do it cheerfully without being reluctant. And we want to do it with our hands. We want to actually give to people. And so that is all of life. Worship is not limited to a Sunday morning service. It's all of life, a living sacrifice. Uh, and, and here yet again, we are seeking to do this faithfully. And, and this is something that is missed, right? Because you can force someone to obey you. If you threaten them with enough violence, you can get some people to obey your commands. But you can't force people to obey for the right reasons. So this is 
constantly what I think about when people say to me, Gunnar, you need to stop trying to make me or force me to become a Christian. It's like, I can't force you to become a Christian. Unfortunately, I, I wish. <laughs> uh, because it's like, it's like people, if, if someone would say to me, Gunnar, stop trying to force me to love Svava. I can't force you to love anybody. <laughs> that's something, that's a step that you have to make. I can make a case of why my wife is awesome, why you should love her, why you should want to hang out with her, why you should see her in a positive light. And that's what we can do as Christians. We can go out there and say, look at how awesome God is, but we can't force people to do it for the right reasons. We can't force people to love God. So we can force people to obey. And if obedience is all that our faith required, we could force people to become Christians, but we cannot force them to obey for the right reasons, right? We can't force, like here, we're talking about giving, right? We can force people to give. It would have a different name, right? It would be called robbery or theft or taxes, <laughs> right? And that, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to go political jokes here. Uh, so so we, can, we, can, we can force people to give, but we can't force them to have the right heart behind it, right? And, and when you have a heart transformation and, and all of a sudden, and let's remember this, as we go into this week, right? We want to be witnesses of Jesus. We want to hope and pray that other people around us come to love Jesus, to surrender their life to him, to, to follow him. But here's where a lot of Christians have often missed the, the I uh, have, have not, have, have missed the mark, right? Because a lot of churches and a lot of Christians have basically gone out and said, you guys need to behave like Christians. How dare you not speak like Christians, not give like Christians, not behave like Christians. When the ultimate goal of our faith is not really behavioral transformation, it's heart transformation, right? It's heart transformation and Gospel motivation, like that has, that is our aim in life. If you, if you want to make, if you want to spread your faith, if you want to see other people around you become Christians, make sure, don't get them to stop cussing. That's not your ultimate, you know, and I keep telling it, it's so funny because when you're a priest or pastor in Iceland, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm like, bro, I know you're not a Christian. You don't have to pretend. <laughs> you know? It's like, I, and I don't want you to, my objective in life is not to walk into a room and then everybody stops cussing. And I'm like, yes. Job well done. No, my, my, my hope is that your heart is transformed and the motivation of why you love, why you want to change, why you want to tell people about Jesus is the right reason. And so here we see that. He's not just talking about go and give. I don't know. Go and give for the right reasons. Go and give knowing why. Go and give with gospel motivation because God has given you everything. So let me start. Why should you seek to give without reluctance and seek to give with joy and cheer? There are a few reasons. Let's start with verse six as, as we dwell on some of these amazing promises that come with generosity and giving in scripture. It says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Depending on your background, you may have just uh, had shivers go down your spine, thinking about some televangelist misusing this verse really, really badly of, of, you know, or you may have heard of scandals where people are like, man, this is, this verse was the one that was used, but let's remember, this is in the Bible. We want to be faithful to the scripture. Let's seek to know what the Bible is teaching here. The promise in this verse is this, 
when we give, our gift doesn't simply vanish, it transforms. It, like a seed transforms into a tree. When we give something, it transforms into something else. And yeah, you can cling on to that seed. You can hold that seed. But if you do, you'll never get to reap the harvest of the tree. You'll never get to see it become something more, something different. And as we'll see here in the text and elsewhere, this harvest includes sometimes material blessings. It sometimes includes God giving you more money and sometimes spiritual blessings. And when you're generous to people around you, in this context, he's talking about money, but we can include a bunch of other things. We can include, I'm generous with my time, with my talents, with my, well, with my treasure. Man, it's like a Baptist thing. Everything has to start with a T, right? Uh, but you can, you, can, you can do that. But verse eight says he's going to give you more so that you can do more. He'll take care of you so that you can abound in every good work, he says. And I think this, you know, and then he says this, always having all sufficiency in all things. The Greek word there, so the New Testament is written in Greek. The Greek word that he uses for sufficiency is also translated sometimes in the New Testament as contentment. So that when you give and when you grow in your generosity to others, you will start to be content with what you have. So here, He's promised to give us so that we can continue to give and also to give you contentment that's not based merely on the stuff that you have right now, but it's based on who is with you right now, right? What is the coffee mug verse that we all think about? Philippians, or is it 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you read it in context, it's kind of brutal. He's been like, man, I've had nothing and I've had a bunch of things but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So the contentment there is not based on the stuff that he has. It's based on who is with him in every single circumstances. When they change, he's still there. And when we're not content, typically what is happening is that we're trying to fill a need in our lives. I was, I was looking at my own life and thinking about generosity and I was seeing the stuff that I was trying to find in material things. I think when we, when we are trying to fill a need in our lives, the need may be being noticed. The need may be feeling secure, especially if you walk through a life where you've just gone up and down and you don't have a whole lot of things, man, having some savings in the account could be the thing that you like, man, this is what I need. I need security. The, the need that we sometimes seek in money is maybe a need for excitement, right? If we just buy something new, like we just bought a car. Uh, uh, it was so funny. We bought the car three months ago and I was just thinking about it this morning. Uh, it was so new and fresh. It's like, this is nice. And then I came in there this morning and there's like Cheerios everywhere. And it's like the excitement is just completely gone. <laughs> it's not nice anymore. Yet it's only been like three months. <laughs> and, and I was thinking like, this is what we do, right? When we're trying, well, typically when we lack contentment, what we're trying to do is fill a need a need of excitement that may, yeah, you may feel excited when you buy something new, but man, that excitement vanishes pretty quickly once Cheerios start filling up the place and everything else. But this is the problem. We try to fill a hunger for our soul with physical stuff. Our soul is crying out for something more and it can't be done 
with more stuff, with more money. And I was faced with this question this week. Gunnar, which is better? Is it better to be the richest man in the world with no contentment? Or is it better to have enough, even if it isn't much, and yet feel contentment and have peace? And again, verse 10 says, he gives seed to the sower and he will surely multiply your seed so that you can show more and more and can, can sow more and more and harvest more. And verse 11, again, he will make you rich in every way so that you can be generous in every way, which leads to people growing in thankfulness. And I love this in verse 11, when he says, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to dot, 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 not Gunnar. <laughs> oh, Gunnar is so awesome, so generous. No, to God. And verse 12 continues on sort of this theme because the ministry of generosity is not simply for us to meet the need of people, but also to result in praise to God and thankfulness to God. Do you see the themes as we run through these verses? There's a theme running through here. All right. And I think this is where a lot of people uh, go wrong and misuse these verses. You know, some people say, if you truly want more money, you need to give more money. You need to sow a seed and then you reap the harvest. If you truly want more money, if you want wealth, if you want fame or everything, you, you need to do this. You need to sow the seed and you'll reap more money. But you see the theme in these verses is not the end goal. What is the end goal here? It's to glory to God. And the end goal again, in these verses, is not more money. It's more money for the sake of something better. Yeah, we get more, but then we can do more. We can give more. We can be more generous. We can increase thankfulness to God. And man, if we take these verses and we say, my end goal is going to be money, then we might show, and I've done this. I've done this. Where I came to God for something else. And then years down the road, I realized my God wasn't God. I was just using him to get what I really wanted, which was fill in the blank. And we've all been there. Be it financial success, success in your job, power, uh, whatever else, stuff. And when God blesses us in material ways, do we ask, how should I elevate the expense of my lifestyle? Or do we ask, how should we use this for the glory of God and the good of others? Let me be completely frank. As I, as I did some introspection this week and I took a hard look at myself and the modern church, I, I think that when it comes to the area of money in the West and sacrificial giving, I think we have sought out more to ask ourselves the question of God, what can I get away with? You know, okay, what is the minimum thing that you require of me in this life? What can I get away with? Instead of asking ourselves, what does God want of me? What does God actually want? Because when money or stuff becomes the point of life and when we start to try to fill spiritual need with things, we take money, which was neutral. Money isn't good or bad, but we make it bad when we put it on the throne of our lives. When we make money and the things that money can buy our ultimate end in life, our ultimate goal in life, we make what 
was neutral in the beginning, all of a sudden is now an idol competing for the throne that only God should sit on in our lives. Money can be a blessing, but if it's our ultimate goal, it becomes toxic. And not only will we start to love money more than God, but we'll start to love things more than people. We'll start to, and we see this over and over again in, in, in horrible stories of people progressing in business by stepping on others, right? What's happening there? They love money more than people. They love things more than people. And this is precisely why the warnings in scripture are so stark on this topic. When one money becomes our God, we do not love people. We end up not prospering ourselves and God ends up not being glorified through our generosity. And let's notice this warning in First Timothy 6, 6 through 12. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Again, I mentioned earlier that sufficiency, that Greek word, that's the same word there for contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of this world. Right? What's, what's been the saying? You don't take a U-Haul to the grave, right? There's everything stays behind. But if we have food and clothing, with these, we'll be content. Uh, well, we're in Iceland, so let's add housing as well. <laughs> but, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Notice this warning. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Right? we We've not heard this very often, right? But we've heard something similar. But money is the root of all evil, right? That's taken from scripture, it seems. Twisted a little. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And then it goes on in the next two verses. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. So why ought we to seek to be people who give cheerfully without reluctancy? First, the promises of, of generosity are great in scripture. Second, the warnings are severe. And here we see the warnings of living for things of this world. We come with nothing. We leave with nothing. It doesn't matter if you, you have a tiny house or a mansion, right? When you leave, you leave with nothing. Death is the great equalizer of kings and beggars. We all end up with nothing in the grave, with nothing as we face our creator and our God. And the only question then, is what do we do with his blessings in life? And those who make it their aim to be rich, aim to bolster their joy. And verse nine actually says, in seeking joy, they walk into harmful desires that plunge others into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. You see there? It's not money itself that's evil because that's been twisted in our modern saying of the word, right? Money is the root of all types of evil. That's not what the, the apostle is saying there. 
says the love of money is the root of all types of evil. It's when we love it. It's when we live for it. When we, you know, all of a sudden making a living turns into living for the earning, as someone said, right? When you claim to own money and own things, but in reality, the money, the things, they own you because your life revolves around that. Then you find yourself at a spot where you start to love things more than people. Not only causes that harm to you, it causes harm to people around you. You've missed the whole point. That money and those things are given to us to enjoy well, but also to bless others, to glorify God. And you see with the great promises and the severe warnings around money, our aim is not simply that we would look more generous. Right? It's not simply that we would look more generous, look more Christian, look more holy. It's that we would be generous. That's when the, 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 the joy of generosity kicks in. Have you noticed that? You can look generous, but it doesn't leave you with content. You're not content even if you force yourself to give the money away. It's only when you become generous. It's not simply about your accents, it's about your heart. And in 2 Corinthians, you see this, the point isn't the money, it's how we aim to use it. How do we, you know, how do we enjoy it properly? In 1 Timothy 6, here he says, uh, where does it say, uh, do not make it your aim to become rich? Where is it? Where is it there? Somewhere in there, right? You believe me? <laughs> it's somewhere in there. Do not make it your aim to become rich, right? How do we enjoy it properly? If you love money, that can become the very source of unrest in your life. That's why the warning is not to love money for money's sake, love the one who blessed you with it. Love the giver, not the gift. Love the people he has now equipped you to bless. If you love money, I've seen this happen. You think that there's joy there. You think there's rest there. There's not. Like I've seen people who have incredible wealth and yet they worry all the time. Not only, you know, spiritually will you start to wither away as your wallet may get bigger, also, with more stuff you own, you may actually feel less at rest if the stuff is the thing that you live for. Because if your hope and your joy and your worth is found in how much money you have and how much stuff you have, all of a sudden you start to get very paranoid about losing it. If you lose this, you lose hope, you lose joy, you lose your worth and value. You don't have anything to brag about anymore. You don't know what your identity is anymore. If you love the stuff, it actually creates more unrest in your life because then anxieties take over because you don't own the stuff, it owns you. And you keep thinking, oh man, what if I lose it? What if I don't keep it up? What if I don't keep it running? What if it starts to wither away? What if, what if uh, someone comes and steals it? The only way for us to become more generous is to actually get to hold our stuff more loosely. That's the only way we don't just look generous, but actually become generous. But if we want this, and this is a great question, okay, how do we get to a place where we actually hold less, less tightly to our stuff? Did I say less loosely before? I think so. Uh, we want to we wanna hold to our stuff uh, less tightly. Is that, is that a good word? Yeah, 
Anyways, you guys know what I mean, right? We want to we wanna not cling to our stuff. I'm going to word it that way. I'm going to stick with that. Um, and the only way to do that is to realize that this stuff, the, the things that God blesses us with, is not where our ultimate joy or hope or worth or purpose are found. And the only way we get there, okay, if, so if we need to hold less tightly to the stuff that we have, and we want to give more cheerfully, and without reluctance, we need to realize and know that our joy and hope and worth and purpose is not found in the stuff God gives us, but in God himself and the one he has already given us. What we treasure, we tend to fight for and protect. And all too often, I've found myself overprotective about my stuff. And in these moments, what I have to do is remind myself that this life is eternal. I don't know about you guys, but I keep on forgetting this all the time. Like I think too, like I have tunnel vision on what the next five years of my life are going to look like, or the next 40 years of my life are going to look like, right? A lot of us do this. We plan for the next 10 years or the next 40 years. But man, if we broaden our scope and we think, what am I going to be doing in a million years? And how much is this going to affect me? Am I really going to stand before God? It's like, man, I didn't give that 5,000 kroners away, you know, <laughs> I could have bought some really good candy <laughs> or whatever, not probably not candy. Uh, but you know, like if we broaden our scope to remind ourselves, man, eternal life, if you're a Christian, if you've decided to follow Jesus, this is as close as I'll ever be to the hell that I deserve for eternity. I will never be closer than this. Eternal life starts now. And for too many Christians, too many churches, it's almost like we think, man, once we all die, we're finally going to be happy. That's not the case. Again, what are the warnings in scripture? It's warning us that if we love the wrong stuff, then it actually takes our joy away. What does Jesus say in John 15? Come to me and my joy will be in you and your joy will be full. The Christian life is to say, no, deny yourself, follow me, and the surprising thing is, is there you find joy. Not in all the things that the world promises you. And here's the thing. This is not like life insurance that you can finally have kick in when you finally die. No, the promises is more joy here. Abiding in Christ here. Every time we've, we, we give, what are we doing? We're reminding ourselves that our joy is in God alone. It's not in his hands and the stuff that he gives me. It's what he's already given me in Christ. And if you, like me, believe, you know, that tithing is a great spiritual principle, this is what I love to do. Every, every time I use this as a baseline every month, we give 10% of what comes in. And I believe, I, I remind myself as I give this, I'm like, okay, I'm going to believe that God can do more with my 90% than I could do with my 100%. And it, it reminds me all the time. It's like, every time I do this, every time we do it here or online, I'll be frank. I feel like online, it doesn't really, no, you can give online, but it doesn't have the same effect on me as, as going to the card machine and feeling it go away. Uh, you know, like, like it's, it's like a constant reminder of like, man, my hope is not in this. My hope is the one who gave me this. Why should we give cheerfully? The promises are great. The dangers of not giving are severe. God knows our joy is found in seeking him and not stuff. And how should we do this? So I have four things that have been very, very helpful for me. 
And again, I don't want to come off as a hypocrite. I've struggled with some of these. <laughs> so just, just know these have been very helpful in my life. Um, but I, I would recommend this. When, if you want to become more generous and not just simply look more generous, but become more generous, I would say, and this is like a typical pastor response. Are you praying? Are you reading? You know why all pastors ask that? Because it actually works. <laughs> it actually transformed to your life and your thinking. And so number one, pray and read. Because what you do is you remind yourself of the coming hope that you have, of the hope that you have right now. And it broadens your scope to remember your life is eternal. Life keeps going after these five years, after these 40 years. And it puts things into perspective. What really matters? Is it the concrete stuff that feels like it's going to last forever, but it's not? Or is it that when I see God, I want to know that I was faithful with whatever he gave me, be it riches or just enough to get by. I want to be faithful. Um, let me encourage you with this. This is like super practical. Also do a budget. Like what I've, what I've found is if I try to stick with a budget, it, it helps me as a spiritual discipline to remind myself, okay, I'm going to tell every coroner where to go instead of getting to the 15th of every month and wondering where it all went, right? And, and that's like, because in doing that and trying to stick with it, I'm reminding myself, okay, I'm going to stay in control of this money. I'm not going to let this money control me. And that's happened way too often. Let me also say, encourage you to save because what you're doing there is you're, you're basically making sure that you also control yourself, that you're setting, setting something aside. Um, there's some great principles there. Um, but also, let me encourage you, start giving when it hurts even. <laughs> to say, oh, this, this is so bad, but I'm going to give this to you. And I'm going to remind myself that I'm going to glorify God with this money, that God will be glorified. And this person, they'll be thankful to God for this money that I'm giving away. And it's going to remind me, my hope is not in this stuff. It's in God who is still with me, even if this money goes away. And man, and I would say there you can, you can put like, first, take care of your family. Right? I've, I've unfortunately heard stories where people use the, the name of God in vain by saying to their kids and their relatives, I'm not going to take care of you because I'm a generous person. And I give to my church. Don't do that. Don't do that. Actually, the Bible has a very stark warning that that is, that is basically you're living like a non-believer. If you, do, if you say you're going to give your money away and not take care of the family that God has you know, caused you to, or put you over to take care of, that's not a good thing. And if you want to join us in the ministry, the, the expense of the ministry, but also giving to the people through this church, man, that's awesome. But also seek people around you and seek seek. If someone is struggling at the bonus and paying and you see there's a problem with payment, man, it's so awesome to be able to say, man, let me come in and, and bless you. <laughs> and, uh, and then they'll be like, well, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized, right? I'm just kidding. Uh, that's, that's not typically how it goes. But I mean, it may lead to an awesome gospel opportunity to tell them why you, why you give. Um, there's much to be said about money the gift of generosity and the dangers of greed. But since we are reminding ourselves of not simply what the Bible says about money, but what it, what it says about generosity, let me remind ourselves of the good news of Jesus. And I'm going to go to a very familiar verse, John 3, right? 16. It says here, for God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that, uh, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. This right here is the reason why we give. This is the source of our heart transformation. This is the gospel motivation God has already given to us. And we have the privilege to follow in his footsteps, right? We have the privilege to not just sing about what God did once, but we get to be a part of his unfolding story here in Iceland. Do you see the love of God and his giving are intertwined for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Man, I'm so glad. Because he could have said, man, Gunnar, I love you, but I'm sticking, sticking to this place because you guys are messy down there. And I would have been like, well, I guess God really loves us, but we're still all going to go to hell for eternity. That's what God could have done. Literally, I don't deserve heaven. And I don't, yeah, let me look around. No, none of us deserve heaven in here. Actually, we're all messed up. He came to die for us when he didn't have to. If you need a reason to be generous, if you need a reason to give, look no further than the, the cliche verse of John 3.16. And it shouldn't be a cliche verse, but we've put it on too many coffee mugs and all that type of stuff, right? And it's like, this is an amazing verse that reminds us for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his love and his giving are inter and we get to extend this giving to others. Your worth is not in how much stuff you own, how much you earn or anything else. It is in this amazing reality. You were far worse off than you could have ever imagined. And yet you were far more loved than you could have ever hoped for. This reminds you of the fact that you, if you put your trust in Jesus, you have eternal life that starts now. So you can let go of your firm grasp of this temporary stuff that's not going to go with you to the grave. You don't need to fill a need in gaining more stuff when you already possess the best thing that life has to offer. That is the giver himself. We can be generous, cheerful, without reluctance because you're not trying to earn love. And this is that, like this blew my mind. So I grew up in church, right? And my, my thinking was, I believe that God exists and I'm trying to be a nice person. That makes me a Christian. But all my life was basically, I'm going to try to be generous. I'm going to try to be good so that God can love me. This is saying, no, God loves you. Therefore be generous. Why should I not be generous? Why should I not be good? Why should I not live for his glory? After he died for me, I am going to live for him. I am going to live for him. The one thing, uh, the one trying to earn love gives, never gives cheerfully. You give out of obligation, right? Because you're trying to earn something. You're trying to achieve something. But out of a sense of, yeah, the, the person may, may seem to look like a Christian, look holy, look impressive, look cheerfully generous, but it's not about your looks or what we do. It's about the reason why we give. And if you need a reason to give, and if you're giving on Sundays when we gather and all this, like this is the reason. It's not like, oh, the, the worship was great this morning or the sermon was okay. You know, I'm going give, to give some money now. No, no, the reason why we give, it's because of him. 
As you go into this week, remember, your first obligation is to provide for those who are under your care, as 1 Timothy 5.8 reminds us. Do not take the name of God in vain and seek to excuse yourself from, from your responsibilities by being a generous person to others and strangers, but not taking care of the people who are like right next to you. Second, take part of the ministry of the church. And after coming to faith, if you're in here and you've been attending for a while, I would encourage you, think about becoming a member of the church because there's, a, there's also in, in becoming a member, we're, we're basically saying, okay, we're heading this direction together and you are helping us to stay on the mission, right? When we vote on a budget, for instance, it's not a fun members meeting, right? But it's very important because we are holding each other accountable to, we want to glorify Jesus, right? We want to make much of him. And third, look around and see how you can serve your friends, your neighbors, even strangers. What a joyful privilege this is. And we, we don't just want to do this as individuals. We want to do this as a church, right? That's why we try to change our budget up so that we can meet the need. And there's a bunch of stuff that we could be doing. Um, I'm pretty sure like some church planning consultants would probably be saying, oh, Gunnar, you need to start saving for a building right now or something like that. Well, God seems to have opened a lot of opportunities to serve people coming in. And right now let's do that. Not just as individuals, but as, as a body together. And that greatest gift is we can give as a church as this. Like if you're in here and you have a lot of need in your life, let me say, we can hopefully meet your need. We can hopefully come alongside of you, serve you. Uh, but if you're in here and you've not accepted the greatest gift of all, that is Jesus Christ, who has died for your sins, that is the best thing I can give you right now. Like, man, we, we tend to, to highlight in scriptures the, the amazing miracles where, you know, someone was raised from dead or when someone who couldn't walk all of a sudden is walking and it's like, man, that's amazing. But then I realized, man, that only delayed the inevitable death. <laughs> the person who was raised to life, they're going to die again. Imagine being that person. It's like, I died twice, right? Um, the, the person now walking, they're also going to face death. All of that, all the physical, uh, all the physical miracles are awesome. But the greatest miracle of all it's John 3, 16. We can have eternal life. And it's not because of you earned it. You can't. You can't. You simply have to come to the cross and accept. And I love that. Because it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what kind of family you come from. It doesn't matter what kind of position you hold in life. We're all equals at the cross. We are all sinners in need of grace and praise God, there's grace to be found. So what we tr tr do, I think Vlad has prepared for us communion, <laughs> but we're gonna uh, remember this hope that we have. We try to do this every week to remember the broken body of Jesus and the blood that was shed for us. Um, and so as you go into this week and you seek to be generous, let's be driven by this. Let's be, let's be driven by knowing why we give because he's given us everything we need. And so as we go into this week, uh, let's remember this. If you're in here and you're a Christian, and this means two things, you've surrendered your life to Jesus. Jesus is not your co-pilot who gets to enjoy the ride with you. He's the one at the steering wheel, taking you wherever he wants to go. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, 
And if you, if, if you know that when you stand before God, it's not about the stuff that I did. It's about what Jesus has already done. If you've done those two things, and according to Romans 10, 9 through 10, that means you are saved, right? And that means we can celebrate together this, uh, this communion, remembering what Christ has done for us with his broken body and shed blood. But if you're in here and you've not surrendered your life and you've not put your trust in Jesus as your savior, I would say, I'm, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, sit this one out because not only would it be mockery to us of what Christ has done, worse yet, it would be a mockery towards God uh, because this is a celebration of what God has done. I hope that you come again. I hope that you have a taste of the hope and joy that we have tasted in Jesus. And I hope that you will be singing with us for eternity, uh, but not today and sit this one out. Father, uh, let's, let's, let's pray. And, and as we go into this song, when you're ready, let's take the, the elements and let's remember what Christ has done. Um, Father, we, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for the privilege that we have to remember, to look back, to see how you've provided, how you've given hope in a hopeless situation, how you've given us joy, how you've given us true worth and true value that no one can take away from us. No one gives it to us and therefore no one can take it away. And we thank you for the fact that we have come before the cross and there we found the goodness of our savior, Jesus Christ. Our story could have ended simply as we, a bunch of sinners in, in very much needy place, need grace, need mercy, need forgiveness. And that's where the story ended, man. But we celebrate your generosity, your love, that did not allow the story to end there. You came to us when we could not come to you. You gave forgiveness when we did not deserve it. And you gave love when we deserved wrath. When we deserved judgment, you gave us. Mother, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for the hope that we have in you, for the unshakable hope with a firm foundation. And we pray that as we remember today, may we go into this week seeking to glorify you with our, with our actions and what we think about, with our hearts, with how we serve people around us. Father, may all of life be an opportunity for us to, do, uh, to, to glorify you, to worship you. So Father, today, as we look back and remember what you've done for us, and as we look forward, knowing that one day we will feast with you Help us go into this week, not simply seeking to give, but doing that cheerfully without reluctance because you have given us cheerfully. For the joy set before you, you endured the cross and how amazing it is to think that you endured the cross for us when you didn't have to. May we follow in your footsteps. May we have eyes to see and ears to hear what you're doing around us and how we can participate in your unfolding story in and through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptiste Kyrka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with the Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. 
Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopavar, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email. His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland. Iceland.